My guest for this episode of Tales from a Gemini is Lewis Duncan. Lewis Duncan is the international editor and MotoGP correspondent of Autosport Magazine. He also does the Tank Slappers podcast. And this is basically two geeks talking about MotoGP and heavy metal and how that basically was their solace growing up. Uh, I, we connected on a level, man, that honestly you have to see. We have a kinship. I, I didn't even know this guy before this year, and now I feel like we're like brothers from another mother. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you didn't, I did, and that's all that matters. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. Man, I am so geeked. I'm geeked on all my shows. I really, I know it sounds like a, a broken record, but it, it's the truth, man. I just, I love what I do. I love talking to new people. And this episode, it's funny. I'm looking for a guest. I'm going through, and as I'm doing that, I'm watching a friend of mine. I'm watching his social media. And he's just ripping these solos, right? And I, I mean, it's sounding good. I mean, he's ripping solos. And I'm going, I need a guest. He's ripping solos. And I'm going, I need a guest. And I go, wait a minute. Why not ask this guy? We both love MotoGP. We both love metal. And not the kind of metal that everybody knows. Like, you mean like Bon Jovi? No, I'm talking metal. The kind of metal like you don't listen to with the lights off because you're afraid like the devil's going to be like, yeah, I like this song. I mean, I'm talking real metal. And this guy, we both are reporters. He's a real reporter. He's actually the international editor uh, and MotoGP uh, Moto correspondent for um, Autosport magazine. He's he's the real deal. I sometimes get a pass to uh, ask the writer's question, and every time I, he would ask a question, he would have these cool rock t-shirts on, and I saw it, it said, Saxon. Now, you have to know your rock and roll. You have to know your rock and roll to know Saxon. Not too many people know Saxon. I mean, that's one of those metal, metal, metal groups that like, whoa. And when I saw that, I go, I got to talk to this guy. And now we're like bestest buddies. My guest today is Mr. Lewis Duncan, uh, the head of the Tank Slappers podcast. Lewis, how you doing, buddy? Hey, BT. I'm really, yeah, that intro, man, that is, that is awesome. I'm so stoked to be here. Thank you very much for having me. No, no, thank you very much. You are the six-string Scott, as I will call you from here on <laughs> out, the six-string Scott, because if you go to his Instagram, which is LDuncan666, typical rock and roll 666, you got to put the devil's number in there because it makes it more authentic. You go and you watch, and it's great because he's in a GP, he's in the race, and like I said, he's an editor for Autosport Magazine, but you see him rip solos from groups that I have loved. I'm talking like Iron Maiden and 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 all the like Iron Maiden the, the hard stuff. Like I said, he's got the Saxon T-shirt. He plays Rush, and and I said, hey man, do the beginning of Working Man from Rush, and he did that for me on a personal message. I go, oh, and then I go, yeah, I got to have him on the show. So, dude, when you grew up, growing up in Scotland, were you like me? Were like. I don't know how you grew up, but it was like music and motorcycle. Were they like your personal thing? Were you kind of shy? I kind of get the feeling you were a shy guy growing up. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I don't know if I've grown up as such. I've gotten older, <laughs> not grown up as such. Uh, and I'm still definitely a shy guy. You know, uh, it's funny that, you know, like you're talking about like the MotoGP press conferences. Every time like uh, Frenet, who's the press officer for Dorna, calls my name, I kind of get that thing in my stomach going up oh, here we go i need to talk now hope i don't sound too awkward um but yeah i, I did kind of grow up uh, quite shy and you know motorsport was always on in the background my dad was a was a big fan it was always formula one but there was motor gp there and then as i got into high school and really got into to motorsport in sort of 2010 that was when i really really got the bug you know i started watching motor gp and it really 
it, it overtook everything in my life, you know, it, but not just MotoGP, motorcycle racing in general, you know, super bikes, you know, Isle of Man TT, that stuff, it just uh, blew my mind. And it, it was kind of at the same point where I was really kind of exploring music. Now, we came from, uh, you know, I, growing up, it was quite good because my my mum and my dad had quite varied tastes. So you'd hear lots of stuff like Peter Gabriel, you know, Led Zeppelin, yes. David Bowie. You know, my dad was into to, to, to loads of stuff. And, you know, I'm a child of the Tony Hawk games. So, so I, um, yes. you know, I, I had so much stuff from that. And I remember, you know, kind of towards the end of primary school, getting into, uh, into or I suppose you would call that elementary school over, over in America uh, and getting into high school. I, I remember hearing things like TNT from ACDC and, and I Maidens and Number of the Beast for the first time. And, you know, I'd never heard anything like that before, not consciously anyway. Right. And it just it just took a hold of me, and and you know Iron Maiden became such a big big part of my life. You know, one of my earliest musical memories was was a Rush riff. My dad had the Russian Rio DVD, and I remember being transfixed by it because it had this dragon on it, and and it had some sort of kind of funny fruit hat. Uh-huh. And obviously, being really young, you kind of think, oh, that's quite cool. And it wasn't until years later that I kind of sort of remembered bits and bobs. But the one thing that always stood out for me from that was this riff from a song called Earthshine. And I, I honestly think that was that was the point where it just, you know, metal and rock and everything just kind of bore its way into my head because I, I never forgot that riff. And then when I got old enough to kind of know what it was, you know, it was just like an, an awakening almost, you know, you hear something and it just grabs you and then it never lets you go. Yes. And, you know, it's been like that. You know, all through my sort of teens, you know, just discovering absolutely everything. Saxon, Scorpions, you know, Tigers of Pantang. And yes, oh Whips my God, you, you, know, you have to know like metal. That. You have to know metal to know Tigers of Pantang. Oh my God. How about Ingve Malmsteen? Do you remember that him also? Uh, do you know, I'm, I don't actually know a lot of Malmsteen stuff. You know, everyone always goes on about Alcatraz and I think I've got to check these guys out, but. I know kind of the, the main, the kind of big Malmsteen stuff, but as far as kind of guitar heroes go, you know, like the real Shred gods, I was always more kind of Gary Moore kind of fan. That was my kind of guitar icon kind of guy. Oh my God, man, my God, I'm loving this already because I knew it was going to be like this. I mean, I never get to talk this way with anybody because now, and it's and no disrespect to it, don't get me wrong, is like I, uh, now it's more hip hop with people here and you know, I always hang around. I, I skew younger when I hang out with people because people my age are usually married or they're asleep by now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm up at all hours of the night watching GP. But if not, I love talking moto and I love talking metal, man, growing up. And and I was going to ask that, but I'm glad you answered the question I was going to answer. Like, what song or what group it was that just captivated you and that was that was your moment? Like, this is it. And it resonated with you. For me, it was Kiss Alive too. There's something mm. about... A group when you're coming up in the formative years. I don't know if you were bullied. I don't know if you were like a, 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 a only child or whatever. But when you're growing up in those formative years and you're trying to find your space in life, and you know, yeah, you have sports. Sports cool, but you also have that other kind of when you're not in sport, where like, okay, how do I fit in? And it's yeah. always music. And there's something about music. And there's either a song or an album or an album cover. And to me, it was Kiss Alive 2 when you open it up. And to this day, and I mean this from bottom of my heart, to this day, when I see the album cover of Kiss Alive 2 on the back, when Gene Simmons has that like this, and he's covered in blood and sweat, yeah. it still yeah. makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, man. 
Yeah, well, music, it's, you know, it, it's the kind of the unifying force of, of the world, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, you know, what your deal is, you know, everyone is unified by music, you know, you don't necessarily like to, you know, have to like the same thing as everyone else, but it, it means something to you. Right. And even, you know, you're talking about Kiss Alive too, you know, I, I totally get that, but you know, you have that kind of goosebump moment with Kiss Alive too. I have that with Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. That was my first, the first CD I ever bought. Uh, you know, and that's just the great thing about music. It's such a, a force for good, you know? It's Man, it's so funny you say that. That's how I feel connected with you because <laughs> I remember, and I don't remember the actual first Iron Maiden song, but I just remember getting Number of the Beast. And I just remember, oh, to you. Oh, uh, yeah, so I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this? And then you hear that, boom, 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 and like, oh, shit. And I remember... <laughs> That just punching me right in the fucking face. Like, this is going to be a different... They were different. Like, I loved metal. Yeah. But there was that kind of formula metal. You know? And don't get me wrong. I love the... Che- I love cheesy shit. I love docking. I, oh, yeah. I don't take up docking in here. But when you heard... But me, personally, when I heard Iron Maiden and when I heard Scorpions, there was something different. And when I heard Number mm. of the Beast, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. And then, peace of mind. I got... I just remember getting peace of mind, like you said. And I remember hearing... It, it was just different. I remember hearing... The flight of Icarus, and then the trooper came on and mm. just kicked your ass. When you're bump, yeah. bump, 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 and you're like, whoa! And the the, the songwriting because they they had the lyrics in the. If you got the cassette, did you have the cassette? I had the, the CD version. Okay, of, yeah. Well, you open it up and they got the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, and they're talking about stuff you've never talked about. But we usually, you know, with the crew, or whatever, you know, it's all with girls and stuff, which is great. Yeah, Don't yeah. get me wrong. But you're going, okay, uh, you know, uh, uh, the horse dying and the Russian and, okay, talking about the war. It's, I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because you talk about Number of the Beast. That was, I'm sure, the, was the first Iron Maiden song I heard because it was in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't like a religious family or anything. And I, I don't have a problem with religion. You know, I, I would defend someone's freedom to practice a religion to the death. Uh, but and I don't think our school, our primary school, was very religious. But for whatever reason, every Friday we'd be in the assembly hall singing, you know, God tunes. And then, you know, every every Easter or Christmas, you'd always have to go to church and do the the usual service thing. And I just there was always that kind of uh, mantra of you need to be do this and stick to a certain path, and you know you can't do this and or else you go to hell and all that sort of thing. And I remember hearing the number of the beast, you know, these guys singing six, 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 you're thinking, whoa, you know, and, you know, Bruce Dickinson with his air raid siren voice. And from that moment, and I remember my dad saying, oh, you, you know, I've got these Iron Maiden CDs and, and sure enough, he did. So that's how I heard things like, you know, I'm, I'm 10, 11 years old and you're hearing things like seventh son of a seventh son, which, yes. you know, couldn't have been any further removed from what everyone in my school was listening to. <laughs> yeah. But I know what you. I know what you mean exactly about the songwriting. I mean, you know, Peace of Mind is one of those albums that, from the you know that drum intro into Where Your Eagles Dare, just grabs you by the scruff of the neck, and then until the the, the outro to To Tame a Land, you know, it has you hooked. And the way Steve Harris writes things is just, and his his lyrics are amazing. I, I always kind of people kind of look at me funny when I say I'm quite inspired by that in my own work. Because obviously when you have to write a race report, for example, you've only got, you know, five minutes to do it. And it needs to be, you can't go 10,000 words. It has to be sharp, short, sharp and to the point. So, you know, you take like a song like The Trooper, you know, 
the bugle sounds, the charge begins, but on this battlefield, no one wins. You've got in five or six seconds this great descriptive imagery, and you're there, you're transporting. I kind of try and do that with my race reports. If you read my race reports, they almost sort of read like a battle almost because yeah. that's kind of how I view it. And that's just because I was brought up with, you know, the lyrics of, of Iron Maiden and, you know, it does have a, an effect on you. No, it, it does. And I'm, it's cool that you said that. I mean, I, I did read yourself like that, but now I'll look at it differently because we're inspired. And I think no matter where you take your inspiration, you use that in things that you do like like for instance yeah. like i've always wanted to go to the olympics and wrestling obviously i didn't get close but to this day when i jump rope to before i work out i jump rope for six minutes and that's the that's the that's the time limit of an olympic wrestling match and everything has mm. that that effect on you like I, I when i come out to work out to go on the floor to actually lift the weights i have to have a song coming in it's like i'm walking in to get ready to go to battle and yeah, it's got to yeah. be and to me i love all kind of music but nothing, and I mean nothing, hits harder to me when I'm working out than Hell's Bells or Thunderstruck. Mm. I mean, Hell's Bells, when you're coming out and you go, dong. Yeah, yeah. Dong, I mean, you just want to just take somebody's face and just run it into a fucking brick wall. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And just lift all the weight away or get out of my way. I'm trying to get this. And it, 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 it transports you or gets you in the mental space. And that's what music mm. has always done. You know? And that's why I think where people, they do, they, they kind of like have that, that like, th this group is mine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. especially if you're, if you're growing up and you're, at least for me, for a little bit in life, like, Everything's different now, and I always tell people unless you look at the unless you look at um, social media or look at the news or TV, I say life is better, and I say that because growing up, you know, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, and I liked Kiss, and it sounds like nothing. If a black kid likes rock and roll now, it's no big deal, but for me, mm. I was ostracized from my family, from people <laughs> in my neighborhood. They were like what and they thought i wanted to be white so they were like kind of and i was just by myself but man when i went in my room and i put my i'm dating myself i put my a track in i put an a track tape in or a cassette or i put an album on i had all three and that was when okay these guys are mine and i just remember like yeah. like back in black number of the beast peace of mind Blackout by the Scorpions. Mm. That was where that was my that was my solitude. That was when you know yeah. the, the names people to call me. It didn't hurt me because these group, these groups were mine. And to this day, that's what resonates with me. It was that the same yeah. way with you? Like like when you grew up, are you an only child or? Uh, uh, how well, we we were quite a big family. You know, I had three sisters. Um, you know, I had a youngest sister who was two years younger than me, so we shared a room, and we had quite different kind of likes and interests growing up. So you did kind of have to have that sort of thing that was kind of your own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a, two older sisters, one, you know, it, 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 you know, it wasn't a, a difficult childhood as such, but we were never like a rich family. So, you know, there was always, there wasn't the holidays and the, the, the fact, you know, fancy new stuff. My parents worked their balls off to, to give us everything, you know, um, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, but it, it was certainly when I got into school, I always felt kind of, particularly high school, there was kind of, I wasn't an easy person to get on with just because I didn't like the same kind of stuff that everyone else liked. Yes. I didn't really, I didn't really care to do the same sort of stuff as everyone else liked. And, you know, I was kind of socially awkward and I still am, you know, I liked formula one instead of football and I liked Iron Maiden instead of, you know, whatever rubbish was in the, the pop charts. <laughs> like wham. And <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever kind of, you know, like Ed Sheeran or whatever was, you know, that sort of stuff. It just didn't do it for me. And, 
but yeah, you go, you, I go home and, you know, put records on or whatever. And, and it was an escape, you know, you put the headphones on. There's nothing I love more than just being on my own headphones on and just completely just slipping away into a different world. Just, you know, and it, and it's a great thing about music. Like you say, is it is such a transportive thing. And, you know, especially a, a concert, you know, a concert for me is like the ultimate sanctuary. You know, yes. you go into this concert hall or an arena or whatever, as soon as those doors close, you know, the world's shut out. Everything is outside, all your troubles, whatever. And for a few hours, you can be free, just fully free to enjoy, you know, just enjoy life. And, you know, even even sport, I think, doesn't quite have that same sort of property as as, as music. Well, you know, I always like, when I get a chance to interview a writer or whatever, I always like to ask him, you know, if you listen to music, what do you listen to? And, and you know, what song is it and, and, and why? Because, you know, like sometimes you think they want us to do something that's like hard. But then again, though, they're going to go out and do this battle. Maybe they need to be calm, that calm yeah, before yeah. the storm. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to know that. Like, what do you listen to? What gets you in that, in that space? Because music can do that for you. But I would think if I was a writer, I think I'd want something more calming. More because you're about to start that business, man. When that, that goes off and they take it off the thing. And, then, and I call it the shankalinkling moment where it's like, you know, and they, yeah, get, and they yeah. get that last kind of, and they get that, that handshake mm-hmm. and they leave and they get that woo when they start it and they walk, man, that, that is another prickly moment on the back of your neck moment, man. Cause they're about to do that business. And it's weird because you feel that for, even though the bikes are just parked there, you feel that energy, that power mm. from the bike. It's almost like when a wild animal, just a horse, is there, you know that you feel that power and you see that bike, even though they're just standing there, you feel that power. And for me, to me, it's synonymous. Maybe it's because I remember when the movie Faster came out, uh, mm-hmm. the, the trailer for it had Black, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club with uh, uh, whatever happened to my rock and roll. And to this day, I downloaded that song. To this day, when I hear that song, it, it makes me, when I'm working out, like, yeah. But I think about when Loris Caparazzi was like, uh, how fast do you go? 300 uh, kilometers per hour. He goes, pretty fast. He goes, yeah, it's good, no? You know? And and that's what, it transports me to that. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it made me want to be a motorcycle racer. You know what I mean? I mean, because music does that shit to you. But I think sport and music, you feel that, like in a concert, like you said, when the doors close, you almost feel that vibration from the speakers. That, yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, here we go. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's that anticipation. It is like the start of a race. You know, it's you're waiting for it, build up. You know, the intro track comes on. You get, you know, with Iron Maiden, it's great because it's the house lights go down and then Doctor Doctor starts by UFO, which is awesome because you've got this great UFO song and then you know, you know something's gonna happen. <laughs> and it's almost like that. It's almost like when that just moment for a band comes on, it is almost like that point of no return. Like whatever happens now, you're you're into it. You know, there's there's no going back. And it's a really, uh, you know, it's a really visceral feeling, which yeah. we sadly missed for the past sort of 18 months with everything that's gone on in the world, sadly. But, yeah. you know, things are coming back, you know, concerts have been happening, nothing that I've been able to go to yet, but, you know, if we'll get there. But it is, it's, and, I, you know, the, I, like, I like how you mentioned Faster because, you know, I remember the, the, the follow-up to that Fastest. You know, I remember that the intro to that film being so kind of big on me, just you know, that 15 minutes of, of talking about Barcelona 2009 and the way the music sets it up and, you know, how they set up the drama, that for me encapsulates everything I love about MotoGP and I, I think really pushed me full force into kind of taking it on as a, as a career, I suppose. Yeah. You're almost like me in a way. It's like, 
you know, I was doing comedy and I was doing this and that. And, and, uh, and the way I felt like I lost my way a little bit, you know, I, I moved from LA. I felt like I like with my tail between my legs and I was looking for some kind of, I don't know, it was like searching. And, you know, I was trying and I was kind of getting back to my, mo- I, I got a, mo- a mini bike when I was a kid and I, I fell in love with that, you know, like, ah, oh, I got mm-hmm. a mini bike. And then, like, that was the same time, about the same time that I started liking rock and roll. Like, I was earth, wind, and fire until then. I was an R&B guy <laughs> until then. And then Kiss just blew my, like, who are these guys? And it, and then because of the, you know, the uh, ost- ostracization, it became Kiss, and it became a mini bike. And then, you know, I was going to get another one, but my, po- my folks split up. So, you know, I went through all this whole life doing whatever, but bikes were always in the foreground. I always liked them. And then it was like my life did a 180, and I came back to my love for motorcycles. So when I moved to Indianapolis, I got a motorcycle, and ever since then, and I got a motorcycle and MotoGP, and then that was, to me, just everything came back full circle. And I never lost yeah. my rock and roll, don't get me wrong, but it, when the motorcycles came, that, that to me almost completed my life. And it's like you, I've been mm-hmm. a geek for it ever since, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I, can, you can, I think everyone goes through that, you, you know, at any point in their life, they have a, a kind of discovery period. I remember kind of it's going through high school and you kind of other things interest you. Um, you know, I wanted to be a mechanic for so long and then I kind of, but I, I wasn't really, I don't know why, because I wasn't like, I'm not that clever a person. Like I don't really know any of that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I, it was by chance that journalism kind of came along and writing because I, again, I wasn't even great in English. Like I didn't apply myself in school. I didn't like, I didn't like being there. I didn't want to be there. The only thing I cared about was, you know, I am maiden and, you know, formula one and, you know, playing my PlayStation. I just didn't really, I just never felt like it was giving me anything. Yeah. Um, because you you go to school nowadays to pass exams. You don't go to school to learn, which is certainly in this country. Um, it's just such a big problem. Um, and then I, I remember I, I used to re- read F1 racing magazine all the time. Um, and I'd write away to get into the star letter competition because you could win Grand Prix tickets. So I thought, well, you, you know, you never know. And I, sure enough, one in the February issue of 2012, my letter appeared as the winner. And I was like, whoa, what, what the hell? And I'd won these Grand Prix tickets. And then it just clicked. There. I remember it because if I... Every morning before I went to get the bus or every, whenever the magazines came out, I would like go to the shop first of all and then get on the bus. But I was running late that morning. I thought, well, if I get this bus, I'll get to school on time, but then I won't get my magazine until end of the day. So I thought I'm going to get my magazine and I'll be late for school. (laughs) So I get this magazine, get on the bus and open it. And I see my name at the bottom of this page. I was like, you know, I couldn't believe it. And then it just, from there, it just sparked. I was like, well, I liked writing that. I quite liked seeing something I wrote you know was deemed worthy enough for a magazine and obviously the 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 reward day was the fact that i get to go to a grand prix so that was the point where i was like maybe there's writing things maybe something i should explore and again i don't know why because my grasp of the english language wasn't great you know i wasn't great writer in high school i don't you know i still struggle with a lot of like the kind of the theory of of you know writing and things like that um but it just became an obsession i just couldn't imagine doing anything else so i began writing and writing and writing and then it just everything kind of clicked as soon as i was that was like my main focus and my love of like rock and metal really kicked off big time and it just sort of ran side by side um yeah and and, and act is like i say is a, is a big inspiration you know i was listening to everything you know i wasn't a big reader uh-huh. and i'm still not a big reader i mean i enjoy enjoy books but i just don't get a, 
a chance, but music was always, you know, listening to music, listening to lyrics was always the thing for me. And, you know, when you're growing up listening to things like Iron Maiden and, and you know, Rush, especially, you know, Neil Peart, you know, what, what a lyricist, you know, yes. you know, and the way, the way Neil had this canny knack for writing such, you know, introspective lyrics, like there were almost songs that were written for you, you know, take it like a song like Subdivisions. Every time I hear that, it always seem, feels like it's a song that could have been specifically written for me. And, and you know, Neil Peart was such a big kind of inspiration to me. And, and why is that? Why, why do you I, feel like it was written for you? I don't know. I just, you know, the, the, the way that it touches on, you know, you know, that this kind of kid, you know, growing up with no place, you know, knowing in his heart that the, the world's much bigger than this little subdivision that he lives in. And, you know, the, the, the line, be cool or be cast out, you know, in the shopping malls and the, in the basement bars and things like that, you know, be cool or be cast out that struck a chord with me. Cause like, well, yeah. Cause I don't really identify with all these kind of popular people. I was never a popular person. Yeah. And and the kid, I remember seeing the music video and the kids on his own, you know, watching the Rush video on the TV. And then at the arcade, he's his mind is elsewhere. And there's another great line in that as well. Um, you know, those who uh, smell uh, those who sell their dreams for small desires will lose the race to rats and and get caught in ticking traps. And I just thought, I remember thinking, yeah, I don't want that from me. You know, I don't want to do an ordinary job I don't want to do a nine to five and then you know that's it stay in the same town I grew up and and there's lots of that you know you know songs like time stand still you know it's a kind of cheesy one of the cheesier rush songs but it's got a great sort of outlook on you know you know don't kind of let time pass you by essentially yes. and I get I just get so much of that from from Rush's stuff which is why I love them so much you know I just there's just something about the way Neil Peart wrote lyrics. It's just a really grab onto. Um, and, you know, like I say, it acts as a, a big sort of inspiration for me as, as a writer, which it might not be obvious if you read like a feature about like Maverick Vinales, for example, but <laughs> I like to think that it's, that it is there, you know? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I whenever, for me, when I hear, that's why I had you play Working Man. Whenever I hear that, down, down, yeah. and I'm like, fuck, I always go, fuck, yeah. It's like one of those yeah. songs where somebody's in the car, you go, shut the fuck up, and you turn yeah. it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't say a fucking word. That's the way I feel when a song is mine. Like, yeah. shut up. I don't want to hear it. That song blew my damn mind when I heard that song. Yeah. So, with, like, yeah. Is okay, it so you grew up with like loving like F1. So, like, who was your favorite drivers in, in, in initially in the beginning? Well, Michael Schumacher was because he was doing all the winning at the time, so I kind of you naturally gravitate to that. But yeah, yeah for me, it was there was there was four drivers that really kind of I kind of hooked onto. Schumacher was one. Mika Hakkinen, when he was still racing, was another one. I still really like him. The older I get, the more I like Mika Hakkinen. Just when you watch documentaries and things, and just the way he talks and the way he approached his racing, and you know he was fast as fuck. You know, Mika Hakkinen was awesome. Jensen Button was another one. Uh, and David Coulthard, obviously being being a Scotsman, um, so so those were kind of the four guys I really kind of hooked onto. But I, I found quite early on, as much as I liked those drivers, I was never really all that partisan. I just, I liked all the drivers in different ways, or most of the drivers in different. I just liked the racing more than anything, and that sort of stuck as well with MotoGP. You know, 
when I got into that, you know, I was a big fan of Marco Simoncelli because uh, I liked his, I just liked his style. Yeah. But I liked all of it. You know, I love when I, my first real season watching was 2011. So, you know, I, I remember Simoncelli and there was guys like Pedroza and Stoner and, you know, Rossi was struggling, but Rossi's still Rossi. He had yeah. Lorenzo. Right. He had all these guys and I just kind of, you know, there was something different about all of them that I liked and they added to this kind of, this narrative that was being that was going on, all the rivalries they had and the racing that they were doing on track. And, you know, that continued, you know, and you know, Marquez comes along and you think, oh, you got this new new player on the board, essentially. And another, you know, it's like, you know, what's, what's going to happen next? You get all these young guys coming up. And that to me is more exciting than having, you know, just like following one rider and, 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 and that being it. And then as I got more into the history of it, I really sort of fell in love with American writers, you know, learning about Wayne Rainey and Kevin Schwantz and Freddie Spencer. And, you know, through this job, I've been so, so like some of the, the, the best things that I've done is interviewing like Kevin Schwantz and, and Wayne Rainey. A few times we did that for a special 1991 retro issue of Autosport yeah. where I got to write about the 91 season. So to talk to the two of those guys about that was, you know, that was a real a real high point for, for me. Oh, that had to be. Now, when did, when did you make that, that gradual switch from F1 to GP? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm still more GP, although I, I'm, I'm give, giving a little bit more attention to F1. I think, I think that rivalry between Mad Max and Lewis is what the sport <laughs> yeah. needs. That's what it needs. Yeah. But that being said, I really think Lando Norris and George Russell are the, are the better talents. I think if you put I think if you put Lando Norris in a better car, I think he's better than Mad Max. That's just me talking out of my ass, but I just think that Norris is better. Well, it's definitely a change into the garden Formula One right now, which is great because you've got, like you say, Russell's coming up and he'll be on a Mercedes next year, which is great because Lewis Hamilton hasn't really had a proper good teammate in a while. You know, not taking anything away from Bottas, but he was never signed to be a world champion. Um, you know, you've got Charles Leclerc at Ferrari, Sainz will figure things out. You know, Max is a great driver, but he's got a lot to sort out, I think, in his approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to your original question, I mean, you know, Formula One was my big passion and through 2010, 2011, 2012, especially, I was obsessed with it. And then sort of 2013, things started to get really quite boring in Formula One and sort of for the next few years. And it was the same time where I was really kind of, my love of MotoGP was kicking off. And I could sort of see that Formula One was doing things wrong, whereas MotoGP was doing things right. You know, Dorna was doing all these things. Like with the regulations, you know, Formula One was getting less competitive and MotoGP was getting more competitive. And you could kind of see sort of where they were starting to fork off a little bit. You could see the branches. Formula One was going in one direction, which wasn't healthy. And MotoGP was heading towards a really this golden era that we're in now. Uh, and there was more exciting about it. Like I wasn't interested in watching Hamilton and Nico Rosberg race each other when the, the hybrids came along. Cause that's all you had for a few years. Whereas you had Mark versus Lorenzo. You had Mark, you know, Mark Rossi and Lorenzo in 2015. Mark crashing you had... everybody. Mark, Mark basically doing what, what, what Dominica Gerder did to Jody Torres every yeah. week. And, but, but not getting penalized for it. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, but, yeah. but he, he provided that. That excitement, like, who's this young gun? And they were, everybody was pissed yeah. off at him, but he was he, – and think about it. He changed the game. Before him, you had to go with a satellite team and then a factory team. But when he came up, they go straight to factory. Because I remember Ben Spees tweeted, oh, I guess you got to be Spanish to do this. Yeah. I remember that. Spees was pissy. But I saw 
I saw the rise of I saw the rise of Marquez when he was in 125 and he kept crashing. And I remember mm. Nick Harris going, when this kid gets it. And I just remember him yeah. saying that when this kid gets it, and oh boy, did he get it. And boy, did he get it. And so I can yeah. see that that gradual. And here's the thing about here's a person I think. I think when you, you have to always constantly change the rules because if you do that, you gotta make it more competitive. And then with F1, what makes me so pissed off is those guys, there's no passing. There's no, you know, like with GP, at least you get, oh, here we go. Ooh, you know what I mean? At that close race, you're like, ah, oh, and you're like this on the edge of your seat. Where Formula yeah. One, it's like they got to wait a second, and then they get the, you know, the DPS, and they pass, and like, okay. You know, it's like, I want close racing. I want someone, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I mean, with MotoGP, you know, you've got all six manufacturers can win races now. Um, you know, we, we've seen that. You know, you see... You know, the past couple of weeks have been great. You know, Ducati versus Yamaha and Ducati versus Honda. You had two very different races at Aragon and, and, and Mizano, and they were both brilliant. You know, you had obviously that duel between Peco Bagnaia and Marquez and Aragon, which was fabulous. Then you go to Mizano and you've got a very different race where you've got Fabio being the hunter and Bagnaia really having to defend him off. And, it, it, you know, it was great. It was, it was fantastic. You know, a few weeks ago, we had KTM winning races. You've got rookies on Pramac bikes you know, and, you know, Vintia bikes and get onto the podium and win races. You go, you know, we've had eight different winners so far. And if you look at, if you look at since 2016, there have been three seasons already where we've had eight winners or more, which says everything about where MotoGP is right now, because 2016 was the big season. That was when they changed the electronic rules, uh, you know, to make things more, competitive you know more competitive you know the, the the new financial regulations came in to help the satellite teams and now every bike on the grid apart from the two Avintia bikes and the and well now davizioso's bike at petronas srt are all factory bikes you know you, you just don't have that in in motorsport in general you know that a, a world championship level to have that level of competitiveness you know top machinery for every rider you know we're seeing three four five guys come up from moto two every season you know you've got like two seasons now you could be a big name for two years and then all of a sudden it's gone because you're not hot shit anymore and it's not because you're a bad rider it's just because you know if your results drop a little bit then you've got this new guy coming up who's dominant you know look at ralph fernandez you know look at oh cost i was gonna add i was gonna save that one for later but since you brought it up Raul Fernandez, dude. I mean, on, and here's honestly, I can't prove it, but man, he and his brother are straight gangsters, man. I mean, they're. <laughs> I mean, they say the right things, but you can't tell me when the camera's not on them. Those dudes are straight gangsters. When I found yeah. that Adrian Fernandez started the fight with Fanati, you know what I mean? He started the fight, and you can't tell me if he's going to fight Fanati. And Fanati's a grown-ass man. He's probably older than us. I mean, and yeah. he's racing Moto3, and here's little Adrian fighting him. And you can't tell me he didn't tell his older brother. And his older yeah. brother's getting ready to go out for Moto2. He's got, he did what? And he's got to take his helmet off and go, hey, man, did you talk to what, what's up to you with my brother? And then he's got to go back and race him on. You can't tell me he didn't. He can't tell me Raul and Fanati didn't have words. And then he's got to yeah. go out and race. Come on, man. I think I think the Fernandez and they're keeping it quiet. I think they're the most gangster dudes in the paddock. I, I can't prove it because uh, at that level, they keep it nice. But, man, yeah. Raul Fernandez and AJ Fernandez are straight gangsters. Uh, yeah, Raul's definitely got a touch of the kind of silent assassin about him. Like, <laughs> when, he gets, when he gets upset and he gets angry, he doesn't really show it. I mean, 
there's quite a big thing right now. He's not massively happy about going to Tech Three. He wanted to go to 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 Yamaha with Sepang Racing Team because he felt the bite would be better for him. But there was a buyout clause that ultimately KTM didn't really honour. You know, yeah. But Yamaha would have put the money down if you know if it came to that. But essentially, KTM weren't going to let him go anywhere. You can't he didn't let somebody really like wanted. Well, it was actually it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because KTM naturally aren't going to let those guys go, but that kind of management structure, they've locked him into a two-year deal that he's not massively happy about. And obviously we've seen with Maverick and Yamaha how things can sever. We've seen, you know, how things can sever between, you know, Zarco and KTM is another example. It's understandably KTM wants to lock these guys, get guys down, but the management kind of style is a bit, it's kind of borderline obsessive. And I think at some point there will be cracks that will form because, you know, if you've got like a real talent like that, you want to do everything to make him happy. You don't want to upset him, essentially. You know, look at like Ducati right now with Peko and Jack and Jorge Martin, you know, there's a real there's a real love in there. You know, Ducati are giving them everything they need. They're, you know, Jack talks about, you know, I, I just want to see a Ducati winning races. I'll have, I'll have Peko if he needs it sort of thing. You know, there's no... That's the kind of atmosphere that is, it's, it's been, you know, it's not always been like that with Ducati. Let's, yeah. let's be fair. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that's been fostered there. Whereas at KTM, it, it can be a little problematic. I mean, Paul Spargro leaving was quite a surprise, you know, and that's down to the management kind of style there. Um, and, you know, there, there will be, it'll be interesting to just see how the Fernandez thing goes, if he lets it get to him, if, if he just accepts the situation and just focuses on himself, that'll be an interesting kind of subplot to, to keep an eye on next year. Well, well, you said something very interesting in your Pink Cypress podcast. You said you said that Ducati is almost developing the perfect bike. I mean, of course they have the, they have the, that top speed down the straight where you can't catch them, but now they can turn. Now they can go, I mean, yeah. you know, and that was where Yamaha would catch them. But if they develop that like a Yamaha, man, they're going to be untouchable. And I think, you know, it's, you're looking at Bagnaya, and which, which he, should, he should get all the accolades for what he did two weeks in a row, getting the lead and fighting off you know, the challenges. Good for him. I think Bagnaya deserves the credit for last week for what he did. But like you said, you brought it up was a great point, was that he's always at that track, though. I mean, he's at, he's training mm. at the track, even though it's not a GP bike. He's always at the track. He knows that, even though it's a two-year-old bike, he's always at that track. So you know, whatever, but whatever, whatever. But man, Fabio is doing something that's reminiscent to me of what Marquez did in that in that year, the one that he got either first or second. Yeah, the, yeah. the one where he has no help. Basically, he got no help at all, and he's a one-man wrecking machine. I mean, what Fabio's doing, he, and he's got his head right, and that's the number one thing. He got his head yeah. right, and once the head gets right, everything else goes. And, I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be, be where he was uh, 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 in, um, in Mazzano. He wasn't supposed to be mm. there. He, he, was, mm. he was flanked by Ducati's. He was for he had no help. He had nobody around. And he comes in there. Da, 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 and he came in and did what he had to do. And let me and, yeah. and granted, 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 Martin crashing kind of helped him because honestly, I think Martin would have had him. I think Martin would have passed him. But Fab, yeah. what Fabio's doing mentally shows. Yeah. But it's not over yet. But it's not over yet. No, for sure. But I, I yeah, Fabio, I've just been so impressed by Fabio this year. We know it, we knew he was quick. You know, we saw that in 2019. We saw that last year, but the, the bike wasn't great. You know, it was too inconsistent. And 
anytime things went wrong, he just let it build up on him. And like you say, he's, he got his head right. He, he's and, and this is the thing I love about this modern era is that, you know, talking about working with sports psychologists and talking about your mental health and sport, it's not a taboo anymore. It's not yes. seen like, oh, you know, you have to be this, you know, Terminator type person, you know, rock solid heads, yeah. no fear, no emotion sort of thing. Whereas Fabio's gone, well, and he's done it quite a lot, you know, after his first race in 2019 when he stalled on the grid, when yes. he qualified fifth. You know, he 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 said afterwards, I had to go to and speak to a sports psychologist because I just, I was destroyed by that. And then it, it helped him. You know, he was stronger from then on. You know, he did it in his Moto2 days. He had a really bad qualifying at Argentina in 2018. And he thought, well, what am I doing here? You know, this isn't working. So he went and spoke to someone. And then, you know, his results turn around quickly and he gets that MotoGP ride. And it was the same again last year. He went, he was open about it. He said, look, after this year, I'm going to go speak to a psychologist. He gave him techniques to use when things get difficult. He does that and it calms him down. And his approach has been the most impressive thing because it's almost like Mark Marquez in a sense. You know, Mark, when in 2019, you know, every weekend he'd be like, okay, our, our first objective is the podium. So we'll go into practice and we'll see where we are. And then we'll think about the victory. You know, I'm not thinking about the championship. And that's exactly what Fabio does. He comes into every weekend. He goes, We'll see where we are in practice. Podium's the first goal. If we can get that spot on, if we then let's see what's what. If we can get the victory, great. You know, if I can go for the victory, I'm going to go for it. You know, you know the championship. I'm not thinking about the championship right now. Of course, I'm not going to make any stupid mistakes, but I'm not. It's not going to dominate my thoughts. And that was a pair. We saw that last week. You know, he goes to Aragon. His pace was good, but he had a problem with the tires, so he's eighth. He goes to Mazzano. And he pushes like Kelly said, you know, I nearly crashed a couple of times, but I enjoy being on the limit. And he's just enjoying riding, he's enjoying taking advantage of the bike when he can. And he bounced back, he got a second place. Yes, his championship lead is down a few more points to 48, but he's just still that mentally resilient Fabio that we've seen at so many points this season. And it's hard to see him not winning the championship. I think if he loses the championship, it'll be a travesty, you know, not taking away anything away from whoever does happen to beat him. But Fabio has just been the class of the field this year. He, he's been so impressive. My God, if he doesn't win, then we'll see if that mental resolve is there. Because I thought, I just thought about that. My damn self, I go, you know what? If he doesn't win, my, oh, it'll be, it'll be it goes, him not winning, then the fall of the Roman Empire. And that's what that'll be. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because he deserves it. But the interesting thing is, they did Mazzano. Okay, they're coming to Dakota here. They're coming to the United States. And then they're going back to Mazzano. And nobody holds home court better than the Italians. I don't know what they do. Mm. But they hold home court better than anybody. Spanish included, man. There's something about, they get on Italian soil. They, imp they want to impress for their people. They do what they got to do. The Italian people come out. They're crazy. They know they're crazy. And those guys guys want to show their people that hey i'm doing it for you it's just a different kind of environment and who knows what happens i yeah. mean that for when you go into that whole shot especially mazano you don't know what's gonna happen you get one of those crazy riders that okay i i gotta make my bones <laughs> this race and wipes him out god forbid wipes him out and then and say bagnaya wins a race and then you cut that point deficit and you never and like i said they go back to italy they go back to home turf and then bagnaya there he's got all the ducks by him even though they said there's no team orders mm. you know what that means man they, they'll protect yeah. him come on man so you never know going in but yeah if he loses somebody better what he'll be 
be in a dark room going, Bobby, you okay? And he'll just be like, blah, 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 blah. Are you yeah. sure? Uh, you, you okay, buddy? I mean, you have 24 hour watch on that guy. But he yeah. should win the championship. But going back, though, honestly, I really am interested to see. And, and he, although I really feel Gart, uh, Remy Gardner is going to win, there's something about Raul, man, that just like, he keeps coming. I mean, a broken hand, man. I mean, he's like, he's mm-hmm. like, he's like the, the Richard Kimball, Doctor Richard Kimball from The Fugitive. He's got a, he's a one arm man, and he's winning races with one arm, and he's winning pretty convincingly. Granted, I mean, Remy did a great job of catching him last week, but he still won with a broken yeah. hand and something about Raul, and you never know. Yeah, well, Raul's definitely got. I think Raul is at that point of the championship now that there's nothing really to lose, like. It, Everything's against him in terms of, you know, Remy's been more consistent. Remy's got the point lead. Um, but, you know, like you say, anything can happen. And it will be interesting when they get to MotoGP. I think Raul would take to it a lot better than Remy will because it took Remy a good few years in Moto2 to get kind of used to the bike and get up to speed. Whereas, of course, Raul's jumped in and has been quick straight away. Um, I think what we'll see with Raul will be very similar to what we've seen with Anea Bastianini. You know, he jumped into Moto2 in his first year and he was quick straight away. You know, he's jumped up to MotoGP and he's quick straight away. Whereas you look at Luca Marini, it took him a few years in Moto2 and it's looking sort of this, of a similar trend. Right. So I think we've we've got that in, um, in Raul. But it'll be interesting, you know, the two of them were on track today uh, at Mazzano in the test and Raul was quicker than um, Remy by about seven tenths. So you can't really read anything into a test, but it's just, it was interesting to see that there was quite that spread. I know Remy had a crash, but... Um, yeah, there was a uh, seven tenths is quite a lot, you know, for, for given that both of them were in the exact same boat. But, but what I want to know though is even though it's a Moto GP bike, Remy's winning and leading the championship Moto Two. I mean, will that even you know will that play a little bit of a mental when they go to when they come to America and they get it back in their Moto Two bikes? I mean, how do they get along in the pack? Do they do they even talk? I mean, do you know? Do you know the? I know you're you're the ends. You know the ends. I, I'm I'm the kid that I I don't know what I don't know what the relationship is like. No, I think there's not been any news of any fight, so I think they. <laughs> kind of they're all right there's it's very um professional i think would be the best way to describe it i think raul would would, would, shut, would shut it down I, I think word wouldn't get out he'd be like he, he put the kibosh on it like i said man he's he's gangster but you can't prove it but it's something about raul man <laughs> yeah he does look like he can handle himself in a fight you know he just looks like the kind of you know you'll not see him coming you'll not see him coming you'll just see this flash and you'll be on the ground with Raul standing over you yeah, yeah. and Adrian going I told you my big brother was gonna help yeah. me <laughs> he's like the Joe Pesci I told you my big brother was gonna yeah. help me I just feel like Adrian starts trouble and Raul has to come in and, and squash it I just I just feel wow like that's it, that's that's what the baby brother's for is you know, you know start the trouble big brother will sort it out and a little bit about Moto3, I feel personally, even though he hasn't won a while, I think what Acosta's doing is almost brilliant. Even though he's not winning, he kind of knows where Sergio Garcia is. And he yeah. just he keeps him at, at arm's length, you know? He's like a boxer that's got the fight won, and he's not getting in any trouble. Mm. He's, uh, he's doing almost what Fabio's doing in MotoGP in that he's... He's getting the maximum result that's on offer at Mazzano. It was seventh. You know that was the best that he was going to get that day, and he got it. You know Garcia could have won that Grand Prix, and he only got fourth. So 
you know, the damage that he could have inflicted was massive and he didn't take the opportunity. And that's not the first time that's happened this year. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of people, you, you get like a guy who like Acosta has got so much hype around him and then he starts not winning and you kind of think, oh, well, you know, everyone's obviously got ahead of themselves, but you can't forget that the, the kid's 17 and it is his first season. You know, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to go into tracks. He won't know he's, getting into situations he's not been familiar with before it's it's all a learning process you know at 17 you know I, I don't know how he does it at 17 I wasn't mature enough I'm 25 now and I can barely look after myself so you know <laughs> I was gonna ask I, you how old you were because I was going I go this guy you talk older but you look younger you're one of those weird guys that could go out with a girl who's like 18 but you can also go out with a woman who's like 52 and and it wouldn't be weird you know <laughs> well as long as uh, as long as uh, the conversation sticks to MotoGP and like I'm made then it'd be all right because other, other than that I don't think my social awkwardness would would let it would let it happen I could see that happening, man. I really could. Like, I don't know how old this guy is. I really don't. If we were in a car together, we got pulled over by the cops. They go, how old is your buddy? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. He could be 42. He could be 42 or 12. I have no idea. <laughs> well, that seems that seems like a too good an opportunity to pass up. You just want to see how much trouble you can get into. You know? <laughs> oh, it's all right. He's, he's, like my, he's like my legal guardian. It's fine. <laughs> yes. We had to do that sometime. We should go out and be like, and we just go to girls. Oh, I don't think my buddy here is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll go out with him. See, <laughs> I think we should do that. We should hang out sometime, man. You know? Okay. I'm, I, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you since, since, you know, we're on the subject of rock and roll and, and whatever, and, and, you know, MotoGP or whatever. I want to ask you what, give me three bands who are underrated un, the most underrated bands. Oh. Underrated. Wow. Well, a, a big one for me, as a band from England, from came around about the same time as the, as you know the new wave of British heavy metal, uh, Angel Witch. Their first album is off the charts. You know, it's an album. It's one of these albums you talk to. You, you know, if you read anything, any interviews like Dave Mustaine or guys like that, they'll always talk about Angel Witch. You know, I and I, I yeah, Angel Witch are great. That first album is awesome. Uh, underrated. There's a there's a heavy metal band uh, Germany that I really dig called Running Wild. Okay. Um, uh they had they're kind of the, the sort of forefathers of pirate metal you know they had so they had songs like under jolly roger and you know riding the storm and things like that they're all very kind of pirate based but not kind of like the, the kind of the mental pirate stuff that you kind of get now like you know like ailstorm and things like that yeah. um but yeah running wild are awesome i mean running wild are almost kind of like a german kind of iron maiden you know a lot of songs about war and things like that mm -hmm. uh, they're great Ah, oh, underrated, man. Uh, oh, another one, Budgie. You know, every Metallica fan obviously will know Bread fan, but, you know, Budgie are, Budgie are such an awesome, awesome band. You know, they had, you know, they're real, you know, they could, as far as I'm concerned, some of their records, you know, stands shoulder to shoulder with like the best of the 70s, you know, like Led Zeppelin and all that sort of stuff. They're just so heavy and, you know, kind of unique as well. A lot of sort of, you know, it's, it's a little bit different and stuff from Budgie. And yeah, those guys are great. I always said to me, I mean, everybody talked about the big ones. You know, of course, there was Metallica and, you know, who mm. the best bands were, whatever. But I always said the cult. And I thought, and I, and okay. I thought yeah. over here, over here, I don't know how it was over there, but I always thought the Scorpions over here didn't get the credit they deserved. I mean, 
they when they when they came over here, they already had a a, a, a volume two for greatest hits. But when they came over here, people didn't realize the Scorpions. You take them uh, to me until um, uh, Winds of Change, which I hated. That until then. They could go head to head with any band there was. I just remember getting live yeah. the first thing and going, "These motherfuckers!" Oh, yeah. I mean, when they did a uh, uh, yeah. big, big city nights, and I mean, I just remember playing my air guitar with my tennis racket, going, yeah. you know, trying to be like Matthias Yobbs. Yeah. I remember that, and I remember the cult, the cult, the first four albums by the cult. I just remember getting electric. And those first three songs kicked your ass, man. You know, a wildfire. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's another? The, the first three songs, and it had Love Removal Machine, motherfucker. When he goes, baby, baby, baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and if you really think about it, Ian Asbury was just as good as any front man in metal ever. He, he, yeah, yeah. He was just as good as Robert Plant. He was just as good yeah. as David Lee Roth, which brings me mm. to, I think Van Halen just may be the greatest metal band ever. And I don't, I don't know if you consider him metal, but think about it. Van Halen, they didn't have a weakness. Yeah. The, the greatest, the greatest yeah. guitarist, Eddie Van Halen, arguably, but I say he was. And then you had the drums, and you, mm. had, the, you had on the skins, and you had the bass with Michael Anthony. Where was their weakness? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Van Halen as a musical unit were just so tight. You know, everyone goes on, oh, Eddie Van Halen, he could do all the tapping on that. But it, all of it worked, you know, it worked because Michael Anthony, you know, was great on bass and he had great backing vocals. You know, song like uh, Ain't Talking About Love, which is my favorite Van Halen song. Yes. You know, yes. You know, you've got that's just so that that's Van Halen firing on all cylinders. Yeah, Van Halen were great. I mean, I love the Scorpions. You know, I think they don't get enough credit over over here, uh, personally. But I remember my introduction to Scorpions was I remember watching a, a like an old sort of German kind of version of Top of the Pops, and they did um, "He's a Woman, She's a Man." And I thought, "Whoa, that's cool!" And I remember hearing "Blackout," and that just blew my mind. I was like, "Whoa, this is, you know, this is something on another level." And, and I, I'd heard like "Rocky Like a Hurricane" because it's quite a popular song, and, and I, I liked it. But yeah, like you say, when you hear stuff like "Big City Nights," you know, "Bad Boys Running Wild," you know, "Crossfire," you know, it's still loving you. Is I, oh you know, my god, dude, that solo! It's the heaviest love song I've ever heard. When he hits that solo, that oh my! I mean, it's still yeah. just another one. The, the prickles on my neck. Yeah, but, uh, there's nothing that will kick your ass like blackout. When you per- first put on blackout, like, dun, 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 yeah. dun, and then you're like, oh, that boy. was, yeah. When I, uh, uh, you know, I, I started, I picked up guitar at the start of the pandemic, you know, I did it a little bit in high school, but I, I didn't have the discipline to kind of stick at it. But I remember things were locking down. And I thought I'm going to, I've been wanting a guitar for a while. So I'm going to go into the shop. I'm going to get everything. Cause if we're going to be in lockdown, then I want something to focus on. And that was definitely one of the first songs I was like, I need to learn this riff. You know, Blackout is just, you, you know, it's just it's too good. I, I I can give it a try if you. Oh, if please you like. do! I was going to ask you if you had your guitar. Matter of fact, matter of fact, one of the readers I asked for a question. He goes, "What kind of guitar rig do you have?" What kind of guitar? Well, I have. Oh, hang on, I'm wrecking the joint here. So I have currently I have uh, I have three guitars. This is uh, well, I'll show you, not that the, the the listeners can see, but I've got the this the Adrian Smith uh, Jackson. Uh, signature. Uh, this is this is the first guitar I bought. It's had a little bit of work done to it. I've uh, there's a new uh, Seymour Duncan pickup in it. So this is this is very special to me. It's uh yeah. Uh, I have an Alex Lifeson Epiphone, the the new one. Um, 
which is great. And I just have a, a Mexican made uh, Fender Stratocaster just because I've always wanted to own a Fender Stratocaster. I've always loved it, you know, yeah. growing up and, you know, obviously being an Iron Maiden fan and seeing those guys play Strats and, you know, Richie Blackmore and all those guys, it just, yes, uh, that was the thing for me. As far as our rigs go, since I moved into my own flat, I've had to turn the noise down a bit. So I've, <laughs> so I've, I've not been able to, I've not been able to use the Marshall, uh, yeah, which is a shame because with the Marshall, I use the um, the Catlin bred Sabra Cadabra pedal for my gain, uh-huh. for all my gain. So that's how I, I get that. Uh, but currently, I'm using a Boss Katana Mark Mark II, the hundred watt one. So you can turn that down to a nice room friendly 0.5 <laughs> watt, which is great. Uh, pedal wise, um, I have a, a tube screener, Ibanez tube screener, just you know the 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 de facto metal you know you just need that pedal if you're going to play hard rock and heavy metal yeah. uh i have a, a an mxr uh chorus pedal which is the same one apparently that slash used on um paradise city i didn't i didn't buy it for that uh particular reason i just i just like the pedal yeah uh, i have a, an mxr phaser pedal and an mxr carbon copy delay which is great and uh, i also have a, a there's a great kind of pedal company that sort of does uh ed- entry-level pedals um uh called landlords and they do a great delay pedal which is uh, called the tap room delay which i use for like if i'm ever playing kind of um you know i use it for the there's a little bit at the start of 2112 where it goes so that's that's where i hit that or um when i'm playing uh do you know victim of the psychic wars by blue oyster cult no i don't know that one that's a great tune. Um, the, the, the solo in that's very heavily delayed, so I, I kick it on for that. But yeah, that's my that's my rig. Basically, it's fairly fairly um, modest. I think it would be the best best way to describe it. But let's get this blackout. Rip it, man! Rip it for me. I hope that I hope this comes through all right. Something like that. <laughs> hey, can you play? Can you play a little Ace Freely? Can can you get shot me from Ace Freely? Do you know? I I, I you, you sent me that message last night. I'm going. I'm going to have a look on online and see what the the, the, the video is like. The the um the the, the lesson. Yeah. Because there's a lesson with Ace Freely, and I thought, okay, good. And then he starts doing all this stuff. I was like, ah, oh, I'm not going to be able to learn not on a lunch break. However, I think I might be able to play the riff. Okay. Um, let me just change to my uh, my my Fender because that's in a different that's in the correct tuning for um for for shock me. I love it. Okay. At least I think it's in the correct tuning. It's uh, it's, I've not got uh, I've got nines on this currently. So when you tune it away from standard, it tends to not stay in tune so much. So I do need to get heavier strings, but I think. I think, if I remember, if I remember, it, the the intro riff goes something like this. Yes. I'll try that again. 
You know, now that I'm on the spot, it's completely slipped my mind. You mean sing it for S you? Sing it for me, BTs. And yeah, baby, if BTs. you it, do it, what you've been told, <laughs> if it's a laser gun, girl, you make my overload. Dun, 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 Don't pull the plug on me. No, no. Yeah. And keep me high and shock me. Make me feel better. I don't got it. I don't got it now. Let me get that. I'm determined to get this now. That's it. Something like that. Yeah. I I, I don't know enough Kiss songs on the guitar. I really need to. Oh my god. I need I need to change that. So apologies to any no. any Kiss fans listening right now. They're going. No, it's not. It's it's not correct. It's no, wrong. No, man. Honestly. You could play that all day. I, 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 I could listen to that. Honestly, you're talented. Man, we, damn it, we got to wrap it up. Listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the top three. Give me your top three lead guitarists of all time. Not, not name Eddie Van Halen, not name Jimi Hendrix. Give me your top three lead guitarists. Oh, top three lead guitarists. Well, the obvious one for me, Alex Lason. Okay. You know, uh, Adrian Smith. Okay. I think he's my, he's my favorite of the um of the I main guys, and I think I've got to go from for one of the Judas Priest guys. So I'm going to go Glenn Tipton. Oh, okay, okay. Give me your top three all time MotoGP riders. Oh, wow! All top time. three wow. all time, all of all time. Well, Valentino Rossi's got to be in there. I think Kenny Roberts has got to be in there as well. Kenny Roberts, uh, senior, uh, and. Mick Dude, I think Mick Dude, Rossi, and and Kenny Kenny Roberts Senior. Over over Marquez, over Marquez. You think you think Marquez is is a, is a is well? I see because he's racing still. I right. kind of don't like to kind of group like current riders into obviously Rossi's, but Rossi's retiring, so he can right. get away with it. But yeah, Marquez would be there, but obviously his career's got a long way to go. So at least we hope we hope it has. Oh yeah, I mean. Hopefully his arm gets back to full fitness and we'll be, yeah. you know, I think, I think we'll see the real Marquez back next year. We, we need to, you know, we need it. We need it. Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Duncan, international editor of Autosport Magazine, Tank Slappers podcast, six string God from Scotland. I could talk to you for another hour, dude, on just music alone, on just on just the Fernandez brothers alone, and just GP alone. I knew it was gonna be this way. I knew it was because, like I said, I just felt the synergy with you when from the first moment. I think we were on. I forget which GP it was, and you went on for something. I saw that Saxon shirt. I said, I gotta talk to this dude, and I just I just knew it would be that way. I just felt that, and it sounds cheesy, but I'm a cheesy dude. But I just felt that from you, man. So. Thank you for your time, Lewis, man. I appreciate you, brother. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, yeah, I've, it's, I've had so much fun. I've been looking forward to this. 
Man, you know, since, since since you dropped me a message, I've been so buzzing. I, I, same here, dude. I was up all night about three or four in the morning, going, "What do I ask this dude? What do I get, <laughs> try to get him to play?" And I just, like I said, man, metal, metal, and and and, and GP, man, it brings us together, brother. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your time, Lewis Duncan. Look him up, L Duncan six 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 on Instagram. Straight, that's straight metal right there. If you know eighties metal, six six six. I love it, man. So thank you for your time, Lewis Duncan. I appreciate you. Thank you, people watching tales from a gemini i appreciate you and as usual you know what we say about this time Pay.